Hello. Hello. Welcome to Discursion, the podcast where we discuss recently released or reissued DVDs and Blu-rays. With your usual host, Dominic. And Stephen. Um, and this time, we're going to be talking about the recent Criterion release of Olivier Essayas's 1994 film Cold Water. I think that a, a, a plot summary for this one, the customary plot summary, is going to be a bit easier than usual because... It's quite a short film, isn't it? It's not a short, but it's a short feature. It's got the kind of classic sort of um, film length, doesn't it? That, you know, hour and a half. Yeah. Um, Which I think is quite a good length for a film, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, Uh, Do you want to have an attempt at uh, at, um, at giving an outline of what it's all about? Well, Olivier Assayas said that the structuring device for this film was music, and that makes sense because the film starts with the two main characters the two young lovers stealing a record from a shop right and those are the records some of those records will be played later in the film at a party Um, but the stealing of those records will also result in one of the main characters being sent to an institution for insubordinate young (laughs) high school kids delinquents yes which she's going to escape um and she manages to outmaneuver her parents and also the uh sort of um officials i suppose at this institution uh and go to a big house party at a chateau uh which takes up a good i don't know half of the film or the latter Perhaps third not, of the yeah, film it sort of almost feels like it's the set piece around which the film uh organizes itself you know although you don't realize that it's impending i i don't think i don't think you feel a big set piece coming but sort of perhaps yeah some way into it you realize that this is um in some way the sort of center of the film isn't it yeah i'm not quite clear to what extent it's autobiographical you know specific terms but it's definitely set exactly at the time when so it's set in uh, the early 70s yeah uh, i mean the protagonist is 16 and so whenever Whenever Asias was born, I think that's that's kind of exactly right. So there's a sense in which it definitely represents his his teenage years, and that sense of sort of some sort of memories of a of of teenage parties, I can very much empathise with as well. It seems to uh, reflect. Although it seems more, my sense of that big scene is it's more about the experience of those teenage parties. You know, I I can I'm not exactly sure if I could say how it would have been filmed differently. But I can imagine a film being made which was in which that sequence was somehow about one sense of remembering being a teenager. But I feel like it's more directed at what it feels like when you are a teenager. Yeah, there's a there's a great um, distance uh, that stops the film from slipping into nostalgia or sentimentalism. Mm. Uh, as you said, you know, it's about a kind of. Uh, a, a pair of teenage lovers and their trials and tribulations with authority of various forms, whether in parental or school or other institutions. Um, and yes, it has that sense of that kind of teenage friendship and teenage, you know, you know, fighting with your friends. And it's some form of, some form of coming of age story, mainly I think about, about Gilles, the, the, the male uh, protagonist, 
and it's shot in a sort of there's a well, it's shot in a number of ways, but there's particularly at the beginning. There's, there's there's quite a lot of prevalence of kind of handheld, um, sort of in-your-face kind of um, cinematography, which I think we've definitely seen in other kind of coming-of-age type films. So, why is this film not just a collection of uh, cliches? <laughs> um, I suppose I suppose one reason is that it's sort of a sort of a mixture of those things, but it isn't any of them. So it seems to stand somewhere between the poles of sort of the 400 blows and I don't know the breakfast club or something like that. <laughs> there's a there's a coming of ageness to it that teenagers could maybe watch and enjoy as a film but there's also a social realism to it that's mm. dealing with issues of class and um uh um, a sort of documentary realism to the film um, that's trying to capture the seventies as a kind of as a period as a mm. as a moment. Mm. I mean, I should make it clear. I asked that question. I mean, I think it's um, yeah, watching it again as we just had. I think is the second time I've seen it. I was I was impressed the first time I saw it. I was all all the more impressed. Um, but yeah, there's something slightly odd because then if you list the ingredients, they would they kind of look very familiar. I mean, even down to. Um, you know, Gilles is is kicked out of an of a of a French class by a you know a French literature class by an irate teacher because he has no feeling for literature because he's not paying attention to to Rousseau as he should be. But then we find later that he's got is it Allen Ginsberg? If it's not Allen Ginsberg, it's another of the beats anyway in 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 his pocket, and he kind he sort of just reads a couple of lines and then puts puts the book back in his pocket and 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 then goes off on on his bike reciting perfectly. A whole chunk of the poem in in English. So again, it's like, oh yes, you know, he's kind of fascinated by literature, just not not the literature which is being forced on him by his uh, by his teachers, and that seems to be a that's a familiar trope from the kind of coming of age rebellion film. It's done sort of you know with a with a subtlety and without a nostalgia, or at least it doesn't. Not without any nostalgia. There must be some. There is some sense, particularly of those songs. And I, I know, I know, you know, Asias has said that those were the songs that were important to him at that time. So it's the performances as well, I suppose. You know, the quality of the performances. Would you say? Um, yes. I mean, there, there we have um, mostly non-actors, which gives the film a sort of roughness. Mm. Um, although we should say that um, I forget. The name of the female lead. Um, she had some training. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think um, Asaias wanted it to be as sort of as rough and as ready as possible. Um, but it has a deceptiveness, doesn't it? Because I think that's one of the interesting things that it does. That it that it looks. It doesn't, for the most part, kind of draw attention to its the way it's constructed it's not a kind of um it's not the kind of art film that spends its its duration wanting you to notice how it's been shot um but it's not nearly as uh as loose as it wants to to look like <laughs> like i think um you know, I mean, there are some quite virtuoso bits in the party where it passes off between various characters who are speaking. You know, kind of, kind of complex, moving, long takes, which are clearly, you know, very choreographed. But they're also edited 
as part of long, longer sequences so you, so it's not it's not quite the sense of it'd be a different thing if the entire party was in one long take or something that would yeah I give think, quite a different texture yeah. yeah yeah i think it was shot over five days and from what right Asaius's cinematographer says he prefers to do long takes to give him some choice in the editing mm, so mm. that Precisely, yeah. He doesn't have to stage everything and choreograph everything right, beforehand. Right. He can have a bit of improvisation. Yeah, but there are certainly, all, you know, the bit where they're all getting stoned and passing the pipe around. Like, if you actually stop and think about that, the way that, that it focuses in on their hands and their faces and this and this pipe without anyone else getting in the way sort of ever, ever quite a long period, that's clearly very, you know, meticulously planned. Yeah, maybe you could distinguish between... I'm just... Um speaking freely you could distinguish between long takes that are meant to be a bit more a bit more mm. showy and, mm. and the long takes that are there so that so that improvisation and and uh, uh some sort of realistic performance can can take place and allow the individuals to to be themselves although they are playing supposed to be playing teenagers from the 1970s even though yeah. they're not they're teenagers from what the ni- early 90s yes yeah yeah um so, for example, there's a there's a long tracking shot of um, um, the two lovers sort of leaving the party, and uh, mm. that this is this is just before the key question, which is going to be: do they do they leave together or not? You know, mm. do they abandon everything to go and live in the wilderness? And there yeah. isn't any real sort of plan there. There's a long tracking shot, which is very similar to the um, tracking shot which ends. Um, the 400 blows um i think i mean as people say Osiris's characters are often running around and moving and you could say the yes, same thing of yes, truffaut's films yes. and those tracking well, shots really yeah. bring that forward when there it seemed like homages those tracking shots actually whereas right. there are other tracking right. shots which are which are yes. which are not i yes. think doing that at all it's partly also the rhythm do you think it is i think it's very well how long things go sometimes they go on for longer than you expect and sometimes they 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 cut when you're not expecting it, but it yeah, it feels like that keeps it quite um, not yeah, not that you're conscious of it being unpredictable, but it it just keeps it in in motion quite effectively. I find. I mean, it it has surprises in it, but 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 there's no sort of thing. There's not much. Well, almost nothing, perhaps completely from left field that you've never thought of. But it's also so it's not it's not predictable, but it's not wildly unpredictable either <laughs> it feels quite right sort of in retrospect the way it moves forward but it's not entirely predictable while it's while it's happening yeah the criterion um summary on the back of your um dvd case describes it as almost experimental mm. which is probably an important mm. important addition to make it's not experimental i mean in Mm. insofar as this isn't exactly new is it using a super 16 millimeter camera and yes going around making making very long takes and mm. so on and so forth although maybe personally a bit of an experiment for Sayas because mm. before this point he he said he had been working with very clunky panavision cameras and didn't uh well he did this film a new life i think it was called before his okay, fourth film, right. and which he he filmed in widescreen Panavision, and he said that he felt weighed down by it, mm. and and so mm. to work with mm. Super Sixteen format mm. was to some extent liberating. And yes, but I don't think he got carried away. <laughs> no, no, it's just got a kind of lightness, hasn't it? And I feel it's 
it manages to give the impression of spontaneity while actually being very delicately um, constructed. I mean, I suppose if if this, it's got quite a lot of affection for its characters, hasn't it? The film has, and it doesn't. I think perhaps it doesn't. Yeah, um, it wouldn't. Maybe this is just an obvious thing to say, which is the way that <laughs> normal films work. But it, the film doesn't work unless unless you care about the characters. Yeah, to what extent is their characterization? I mean, because if I think of those teen movies like The Breakfast Club or maybe something a bit more new wavy like graffiti or something like that, the characters tend to, have to be types, don't they? Sort of high school types. Mm. I just wondered how far can you take it down that genre route? And so there's the slightly twitchy guy with the with the dynamite. He's yes. <laughs> there's him, mm. and he's he's quite heavily sort of characterized but it does seem it's quite memorable that's his thing he has he's the guy with the dynamite that's his yeah yeah <laughs> as, yes i mean well at least but that's as far as we know but so we're not led to believe that uh, yeah i can imagine in a different version of this film like that would be his thing also within the world of the film you know he'd be the guy to go to if you want to get dynamite but in fact we don't know much about him other than he does get dynamite for Gilles in this particular situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, it almost sort of resists that um, type thing, I think. I mean, also, there's a thing where there are a bunch of um, the, of, of the protagonist's friends at the party who are all, who, who, who are trying to, um, like, who are helping to hide uh, Christine from her, from her mother and, and her mother's boyfriend and things. Um, who are all are all girls actually, as as it happens, as it's kind of the three of them really who are kind of important, but but they're not typed in that way, I don't think. No, not heavily. There's definitely. Um, I mean, they have different personalities, but yeah. Insofar as we can tell, we don't get to know them very well. But I don't feel it's sort of. It's not like you know, you know the bookish one and the sporty one and the slutty one. <laughs> no. Maybe it would be fair to say that if if it doesn't, yeah, uh, deliberately it doesn't entirely steer clear of any nostalgia, but it does steer clear of sentimentality. So you don't have what I suspect you might find in your kind of, you know, you know imaginary average American coming of age, which would be have, which, which would be to have the one adult who who really gets the kids. Um, and this, you don't have that. The closest you get is actually Christine's mother, who has a quite in- interesting conversation with Gilles. But even even that is quite it's it's quite nuanced. Um, it's involving her, sort of saying that, kind of recognizing that she's not quite, uh, you know, cracking it as a mother, but also that she has her own life to leave and to to live, and her daughter is annoying. <laughs> Each generation has its own rebellion, right? Yes. So, what this is like early seventies, and mm. Asaias talks about it being a sort of punk revolt, even though the yeah. music he uses isn't categorically sort of well, punk quite. rock music. But he's he's tying it into that seventies revolt, that kind of post. Yeah, he calls it like post May nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, kind of fatigue. Well, it's I mean it's pre punk, isn't it? That's the that that's yeah. that's the point. I mean, as in punk as a genre, punk hasn't happened yet. Yeah. You know, so you have, yeah, so you can have, it's quite interesting, yeah, you can have things which might, you have a mix of music which would be quite acceptable to at least some of the punks later, you know, 
you know, kind of Nico, I think probably is, there's something, you know, quite punk about, about Nico, you know, you know, you know, Roxy music for all, you know, the, all the, art, the artificiality is so obvious. And as a part of Roxy music, I think perhaps Roxy music would kind of, um, you know, might've got, uh, you know, got a pass by some, but then you also have Deep Purple who surely, you know, uh, would, you know, wouldn't be that long before they would be, would have been turned into absolutely the sort of epitome of the rock kind of dinosaur. But yeah, but that, uh, yeah, the kids can listen to all this stuff and it's still, yeah, it's their sort of, perhaps it's an unusual time to set a, a sort of, you know, rock rebellion kind of film precisely because there's a bunch of things about punk because that was the story that punk told itself and then there's a bunch of things about you know rock and roll and then you know, go back to um or you know or the films that were around at the time of that sort of music you know the kind of you know, you know james dean kind of things mm-hmm. um or there's you know even the beatles or something sort of a bit later is something but this is just, yeah it's a slightly forgotten I'm just wondering, Era. but it's, it's it's funny to have these '90s kids dancing along to, mm. yes, precisely to to Roxy Music and Janis mm. Joplin. Maybe mm. I mean, what was around in the '90s, early '90s? Like this is the films from 1992, I think. I'm saying. Is it, is it, right? I thought it was is it '94? '90, oh, possibly '94. Well, it's Nirvana then. That's so that's a, a, was, yeah. a grungier sort of yeah. sound, and I'm wondering yeah. if if that '70s music by that point would have been seen as being a bit kind of past it. I mean, I, th- I think it might also. I think I think by then it had also come come kind of background, I suppose. And that's another thing I think that perhaps is yeah just worth emphasising, like quite how meticulous the sound design is. Again, it's quite kind of self-effacing, but it's um, you know. If the film at times wants to give the impression that it's a little bit like um, some sort of cinema verite kind of handheld, you know, just catching things on the fly, like the sound is absolutely not that. <laughs> when Giel actually gets the the dynamite off off the dynamite kid, um, and and they're in a kind of staff kind of toilet, and yeah, just the sound of the plumbing and thing is 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 you know very kind of precisely placed or later when they're in the country you know sound of birds and livestock which you never see um it's i mean this is in a sense this is just absolutely straightforward film making you know sound design it's not experimental but it's yeah it just struck me quite how quite how carefully it's been done but in a self-effacing way it's not you know it doesn't want to draw attention to itself and he's I, I think I, I think you alluded it uh, to it earlier. I think it's really quite interesting how you, if you do pay attention to it, how the how the music is used in the um, in in the party scene. Because yeah, strictly speaking, there's no non-diegetic music in the whole film, right? Um, so sort of sort of one way to you know kind of two extremes of the ways you could have used the sound in that in those scenes one way would be to use the fact that 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 the um songs are being played at the party as the as the excuse for playing those songs but then not really worry about that in a in an acoustic or sonic sense just have 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 the music you know as it would be on the you know mixed like you'd mix kind kind of soundtrack you know music or another thing would would be to be very 
to be rather fussy about precisely where you're you know where it's coming from how how loud it is depending on where where the characters are and where the actual sound source is and it seems to me to do something in the middle of those two yeah it just so happens that the music is often played almost at the perfect moment the breaking of glass coincides with a pretty heavy guitar riff for example um but then there is something about being a teenager and having the right song on just at the right moment that kind of almost contrived kind of sense of knowing exactly what to play Right, that's DJing a party. Right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 that happens. It, right, the the bit when when they make the enormous bonfire, the song. I forget what song it is, but the song starts again, um, which both sort of works, you know, yeah, with the the affective qualities of the music as part of the film, but also clearly one of the kids is meant to have gone, yeah, let's start that song again and, and actually move the needle back to the beginning. So it it manages to have both. Yeah. Uh, you know, deliberately. <laughs> I don't know if I'm right in saying that you never see the record being played at the party. I, I'm not quite sure I can guarantee no, you, that. I mean, you do see a record player, but it doesn't. I think you see a record, but it doesn't seem to have any records on it. So I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, so that would be another thing. Again, yeah, I feel perhaps another another way of doing this. I sort of have in my mind a kind of. An idea of a, it's a slightly unfair idea of a kind of average sort of American coming of age nostalgia film. In which music is Uh, always um, an important element. But then I think you'd also have kind of fetishistic close-ups of turntables and and needles and it would be emphasised that, you know, this is what they played music on and perhaps relating to the the filmmaker, you know, particularly... Yeah, I, yeah, the fact that vinyl has, has has come back in recent years means this will be different now. But a filmmaker making film in in, in the nineties being, oh, we don't, you know, about their childhood in the seventies, feeling, oh, we don't have, yeah, we don't have records anymore. Um, but, but that doesn't happen. It's mm. just because, as far as the kids are concerned, they're. I, I think I think that's maybe that does relate to what we were saying earlier about it being more concerned with with giving a sense of how it felt because the. The kids aren't excited about records as technology because that's the technology which they have to play music. They, they're excited about the music. That's it. That's that's, that's right. Yeah. As, as as we normally say, we um decided not not to bother avoiding spoilers in this podcast, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So watch the film first, or you know, pause the podcast now. But um, I mean, it's it's surely heavily implied that that uh that the christine kills herself at the end of the film right it's implied i don't know if it's heavily implied i don't like the ending can i just add Mm -hmm. i don't like the blank note i think it's i don't i don't as uh, found it to be a bit contrived um and i don't like the way in which he's he's asked to unfold the note and how long that takes as a gesture, mm. I find it to be, um, I don't know, I feel like it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> a blank note. I mean, I just feel like it's too much. Well, yeah, that would, I understand that. I'm not sure, yeah. That would be in, in the context of the film sort of avoiding uh, sort of explicit symbolism um, elsewhere, I suppose. This seem a, a, a heavy-handed conclusion, yeah. Although I mean, he doesn't. He takes a long time to open it because 
he knows it's a suicide note. He doesn't want to read what's in it. I don't have anything to add other than it seems, yeah, it seems like an unnecessary sort of... I mean, do you think it's sort of indicating that uh, there will, you know, there'll always be ambiguity, we'll never know or something? It's a kind of heavy-handed symbol. Yeah, I guess that's where I'm, mm. where I'm, my problem is. Mm. If mm. you can have such a thing as a contrived ambiguity, I oh, think absolutely, that's maybe you can. what it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Have yeah, a think yeah. about this. Yes. I mean, we haven't talked much about the feeling. Maybe we've been skirting around. You know, we've talked about about the feelings of the film because it does have a. It has a, as I think we've said, a kind of distance or a kind of. Um, a kind of coolness in in how it presents things, but not. I don't feel a coldness at all. I think it's quite it's quite sort of powerfully, you know, uh, emotional. In fact. Yeah, I think you 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 feel that. If there is any coldness, you feel it with the characters, mm, yeah. Rather than yeah. W- watching them be subjected to it, um, yes, yes. Uh, and that coldness can come in many forms. There is literal coldness, the the rain and the snow that ends the yeah, film, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, without wanting to sound, yeah, uh, too simplistic about this, there's also the coldness between the parents and their children, the father and the son, and those brilliant sort of prowling, circling, tracking shots um, mm. in, in, in the living room. Yes. Um, but it's complicated, that, between the father and the son, isn't it? Because it's not... Again, I don't quite feel that coldness is... There's there's a problem of distance. I mean, there's a problem of communication. But, I mean, in fact, the last the last shot, the last time we see the father, he has his arm around Gilles. That's true. There's a nice switch there from those singles, extended single shots mm. to the to the double shot with the two characters actually physically touching each other, which comes um, as quite a powerful sort of surprise. You know. Is it worth saying anything? Is there any more to say? Because we only sort of mentioned that it that it's the case about the um, the choice to shoot it on sixteen millimeter. You know what that contributes to the film. Um. Well, I suppose one thing one thing that it gives him is mobility. Mm-hmm. So all of the things we've been talking about to do with staging and and um, fluidity, they, those are largely thanks to this this very lightweight camera. Mm. It also gives the color a lovely, yeah, uh, uh, sort of um, uh, gritty textured look, which mm. um, I mentioned. French New Wave earlier. So it, yes. this is definitively in, bl- in in color and not black and white. Yeah. Like a lot of those early anamorphic sixties French films, um, and that's I suppose quite important. I mean, the colours are they're they're slightly uh, subdued kind of colours, aren't they? They're cold blues and mm. yeah, and, uh, yes, it's, it's it's not full of yeah, very yeah. It's not Terence Malick. <laughs> no, it's not Terence Malick <laughs> because he he has the intimacy of Terence Malick, but he doesn't have the no. the softness. No, but yeah, yeah, the grain itself is quite pleasing. Again, it's a sort of you can yeah, it's kind of it's it's got a kind of warmth again, hasn't it? I suppose it could have a nostalgia as well, uh, you know, you know, kind of uh, excuse the cat. Um, he thinks it's dinner time. He's mistaken. Um, uh, you know. Home videos shot at that time would have may, maybe been shot on you know, Super 8 or something, but there's yeah, there's there's at least the, the kind of possible. It, it it doesn't look like someone's home videos, but it might have something in common with the way your home videos from that time. That's really interesting. Might have looked. Sis describes the film as something that superimposes itself on his memories of 
being a teenager now, he right. can't separate himself from it right. like a screen. And I wonder if yeah. he's yeah. seeing the film as a sort of a, a bit of a home movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the way that home movies yeah. aren't always, you know, it's not, a, it's not, it ca- they capture certain moments and exclude other ones, don't they? And also, mm-hmm. yeah, in terms of how it, yeah, they exact, how certain scenes are constructed. There Again, there are things which are, when you stop and think about them, they're actually really quite strange, but that I, I think they're sort of mostly um, they're entered into so well that you don't you're less likely to kind of, kind of notice that fact, which maybe relates to what you say about it being you know, almost almost experimental. Mm. You know, so there's a the scene when she is actually at the um, you know when she when Christine gets taken to the institution. Yeah, so she's there with her suitcase in this kind of waiting room, and there's a. There's there's a peculiar TV program with a fairly astonishing a cappella version of the Four Seasons, <laughs> um, uh, which is quite funny as well as slightly slightly disconcerting. Um, and then uh, yeah, the the sort of one of the one of the doctors in in charge at the institution sort of talks is talking to her father. Um, but they t- they move outside, so they're talking in the grounds in the front of the of the of the building. So the camera moves forward. So we're looking out of the window, um, seeing these men talking to each other, presumably about Christine, who we can't see. But it's not her her point of view shot at all because she's on the other other side of the room. But there's some sense of her experience is still we're still very sort of aware of what she's experiencing but there's also we know what's going on being you know what's being said we know that things are being said about her even if we don't know what they are while the soundtrack is this you know bizarre vivaldi <laughs> it's yeah you know when you sort of stop and think and kind of describe it like that it's a really quite strange you know combination of image and sound are really quite complicated but it doesn't i don't think it feels quite like that at the time because it, it gets there in, in a perfectly logical way yeah it sort of you know it, it kind of gently gets you in there yeah <laughs> the purpose isn't alienation at all no you know, the film gives you enough you could kind mm. of li- almost lip read um the conversation yeah. between the father and the um the official there at the institution um and you can maybe appreciate the contrast there between between the Vivaldi and uh, just the ridiculousness of it in yeah. this very yeah. sterile environment that mm. means nothing at all mm. to our to our main mm. character that mm. means absolutely nothing to her and no no exactly is a place in which she does not want to be no but you get all, the, yeah, all these quite rich things but again they're not they're not it's not it's not a symbol of her alienation or the music you know there would again in in someone else's film that was much crasser the the particular music that, that would be playing would have lyrics that would somehow relate. It's it's not that. It's just yeah, things are dislocated, things are odd. Would the word be something like defam- defamiliarization or something? There is oh, yeah. there is at least a degree of yes of noticing that things are made strange, but they're made strange because because the life life is quite strange. We might have to stop, and I might have to go and feed the cat. <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> life life is strange. Life intervenes. It does. The world um, goes on. 
Thank you for listening to Discursion. Do like and subscribe. We are on Podbean, um, Spotify and iTunes. And follow us on Twitter. Uh, Thanks for listening. Yes, thank you. And we'll be back shortly with another film on another disc. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 